Hmm. You believe Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ. I said, I think it's great to know that verse. I think it's great to quote that verse. I think it's great to be able to share it with someone. But do you believe it? Do you mm-hmm. really believe for me to live is Christ? Mm-hmm. Have you boiled everything down to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Said, if you can get there, I think you'll stay in this the rest of your life. He said, if you can't boil it down just to Jesus, I think you give up somewhere in your 40s or 50s. I want to uh, welcome all of you into The Harvest. Uh, My name is Andrew Stroud. I'm the project lead here, and I'm joined today for um, a special interview. We've been doing these interview shows here in 2022, and I'm joined by my good friend Dave Perry. He is based out of Rio Grande, Ohio, and I'm saying that right, Dave, correct? It's Rio Grande. Yes, you are. (laughs) You are. All right, so for all of my Texas friends... um, I know how to pronounce it, but in Ohio, <laughs> it's pronounced Rio Grande. But uh, Dave is, I've told you this, Dave, you are one of my personal heroes when it comes to following Jesus and helping others follow him. Uh, and we're going to get into the story, your story of faith. And I think folks will begin to pick up on some of the reasons why that is. But uh, you and I have known each other. I honestly don't remember exactly when we met, but it was probably in the early 2000s. Yes. Yes. It was actually just a baby a little bit before that. I think it's been, it's over 20 years though, for sure. That I do know. That's one of the things I love about what we're doing with Into the Harvest. And of course, this is happening much broader than Into the Harvest, yeah. but I feel like with Into the Harvest, we get a chance to spotlight uh, stories and people that have been faithfully following Jesus and making disciples, um, not as a flash in the pan, but people who are giving their lives to this and have given their lives to this and, and really have history and lessons that have been one uh, hard one in the, the field of experience. So hopefully we'll get a chance to, uh, to dive into some of those. But tell us a little bit about, let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your own story. Um, how did you come to faith? Did you grow up in church? Um, what was it that led you to start following Jesus? Let me give you probably the Reader's Digest version of the testimony. I, I like to look at my past in, in, in threes. I did go up in church. My mother loved a church. And so we were there every Sunday uh, without a miss. So I have a very religious background. I didn't do a lot with it, just religious. So just so you know, and uh, my last two years, my junior, senior year, I was a head altar boy at the church, at the Catholic church. And then um, I played sports. I played three sports, uh, varsity sports. And my last year, I was a state champion gymnast. So those parts, so I was very popular in those two areas. But then I had another third. It's the third no one knew about except some very close associates. You wouldn't think that someone had a religious background and was highlighted in sports and picture and name and all that was out there. But I did things in the evening, uh, some that I don't like doing spiritual strip teases with. But if I would have been caught, I would have been uh, put into uh, what's called DYS, Department of Youth Services, Detention Home for Boys. Some of my stuff was so serious, it's very possible at age 18, they could have maybe bound me over to adult prison. Hmm. So that's an ugly part of my past. It was always done in darkness. It was always done in the evenings. Uh, a lot of uh, theft, a lot of destruction, uh, some really other ugly stuff I won't go into. 
but I never was caught, not a single time. So when I heard the gospel, when I heard all have sinned fall short of the glory of God, I qualified. Yeah. <laughs> no one had to tell me. I knew. So I heard the gospel, I think, clearly at uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, when I was doing, getting my AIT training. And I got a weekend pass. I went to a coffee house. Uh, a guy came over, shared four verses with me, asked me if I understood. I said, yes. He said, do you believe it? I said, yes. And he walked away. It's like he dangled a steak in front of me <laughs> and didn't let me take a bite. Well, I, at the coffee house was free. It was an outreach place. So another man about a couple hours later came and shared the same four verses, asked me if I understood, asked me if I believed, and I said yes, and dangled and walked away. I would not hear it again until I met Cecil Bean on January 6th of 1975 at uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky. He was in processing me, and he asked me two questions. I've never forgotten. He said, are you interested in spiritual things? Good church boy. I said yes. He asked me if I was interested in a Bible study. I had no clue what he meant by that. I never read the Bible, never studied it. And I said, yes, though. Well, during that week, I'm in processing, and he knocks on my door, and in walks him and another young man, which I know now was for training. I didn't know then. He shares the same four verses those young men shared and asked me the same two questions, but then he asked me a third. He said, would you like to do something about it? I was engaged to be married. I was 19 years old. I was full of spit and vinegar and doing all kinds of stupid stuff. And I said, no. During that week, I am processed. I got my orders where I'm going to be working. And guess where I'm going to be working? For the next two years, <laughs> within 20 <laughs> feet of Cecil Bean. <laughs> Who would figure? And I remember one day he came over to me, brought his Bible and said, hey, Private Perry, can I share something with you, what God shared with me? I was very respectful, but in my mind, I'm going, there's no way God speaks to you. He may speak to a priest, a bishop, cardinal, a pope, but he's not speaking to you. Hmm. But I listened. I was respectful. He shared, and he went on his way. But a week later, he comes over and does the same thing, that he's not getting through. Remember, I'm 19 years. I really don't want to do anything with this. He introduces me to Joe Ray, another 19-year-old boy who was raised staunch like I was, yet there was something different about Joe. Joe seemed to know God. I didn't know God. He seemed to know about Jesus. I didn't know Jesus. He seemed to know this book. I didn't know anything about this book. For the next three months or so, Joe Ray spent almost four or five days a week with me, every week, every day. And shared his life, shared the word of God with me. We did all kinds of crazy stuff, a lot of fun, but he always shared the word. And one day he's going down the road. He didn't tell me these were Bible verses. He just said, hey, I'm memorizing something. Could you check me to make sure that they're word perfect? You wouldn't believe how many times I've done that over the last 40 some years with other people, what he did with me. So I'm flipping through and sure enough, it's the same four verses. It's Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And I flip it over. It says Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I flip it over. He shares Hebrews 9.27, just pointing for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Flips it over. And then Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Andrew, I cannot tell you, even to this day, in my testimony I've shared thousands of times, I cannot tell you today how many miles we traveled. And I stared at that verse and Joe never said a word. I didn't know then what I know now. He knew the word got in that day. 
couple of days later, on April 14th in 1975, he took me to a little theater in Fort Knox, Kentucky, to see a movie called Time to Run. In that movie is a young man being uh, sharing the gospel with other people or sharing with him, and he's running, basically, from God. He takes a, he picks up some hitchhikers and he hears Billy Graham sharing the word. Well, guess what he's sharing? <laughs> Same verses I've been hearing. And I, I looked up there and went, I'm that man. I'm him. I'm running from the very thing that God is trying to speak to me about. So on April 14th in 1975, I confessed my sins before God. I repented before him. And I acknowledge him as my Savior and Lord and King in my life uh, and, uh, down in Fort Knox, Kentucky. For the next six or seven or eight months, Joe Ray uh, taught me so many things. He taught me how to read my Bible. He taught me how to have a quiet time. He taught me how to sit at the feet of Jesus. He taught me how to pray long, long prayer walks for hours on end. We'd pray on country roads. And on and on, he taught me so many things. After that, he left Cecil Bean. Um, asked me to move into his home with he and Jeannie for training. I had no idea what that meant. And I was an early guinea pig. I was the third guy to live in their home. So I they experimented on me. So all the guys <laughs> later get the benefit from that experiment. So, but my, it changed my life. I've never recovered. And I want to say it again. I've never recovered from that time living with Cecil and Jeannie's. My life totally was altered as a result of that. I yeah. would go from there. I went to Germany. Joe Lee Holt of the Navigators finished out the work for those next three years of my life. And if it wasn't for Joe Lee Holt, I'd have never come to Rio Grande. I would have now, never come here. So what's the story there? What what was it about your time with Joe Lee that, that led you to from Germany to Ohio? I was a very poor student. Uh, 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 for a period of time in our life, my dad was totally disabled, hurt in a car an accident. And so we, my family of nine, uh, we, uh, we had very little. We were very poor, lived on government stuff. People don't even remember this kind of stuff. We had powdered milk. We didn't, you mix powder with water. It's, it's, it's I won't even go into all the details. Yeah. So I was self-conscious. As a result, a little girl one time in second grade walked by my desk and I could smell the perfume. And it dawned on me, if I can smell her, they can smell me because we only took a bath once a week and the water was only changed every six person. So the, the, the soap would almost sit on the scum of the water. And so I was shuffle my feet like an old man, which means the teacher looked at as being rebellious, so I'd get paddled a lot. So I imploded on myself, and I didn't apply myself. So I had no confidence to go to school. Uh, math, science, all that kind of stuff is like a foreign language to me, and still to this day. So I struggle. I struggle to read. I read more than anyone else. If you read a passage, you probably read it once. I'll probably have to read it 10 times. So comprehension I struggle with but um so Joe came alongside me and says I want to help you with this and if he had not done that I'd have never come to college hmm. so I'm very thankful that Joe Lee Holt came along not try to make a spiritual robot but he tried to fulfill Colossians 1 28 and 29 to present a man complete in Christ and it's the whole man hmm. boy did I get that from him that really so made he, sense he was helping you with like reading like basic education reading skills. but more than that the confidence that god would be with me hmm. if i go to college yeah he would do all those other things but it was the confidence to believe god would be with me it's that with him principle and it was embedded in in joe so he really helped me with the confidence that if i would go i could trust him to help me do this so yeah. i came to Rio Grande on september 9th in 1979 
I looked over a hill behind Line Center. I'm seeing the valley. I see Bob Evans Farm. I didn't know at the time. And I thought, this is a beautiful place to be. I turned to my left and I saw the dorms. And at that moment, I knew. I knew why I was here. It was for the students and staff more than any event for my education. I got down on my knees beside that big rock and I prayed for hours. I left off that hill, walked down and prayed the rest of the night. I prayed all night around the dorms and just circled and circled and circled the camp, circled the village, asking God for two things. It's the same two things I've asked for 43 years. I really haven't changed my prayer life in this part. I asked God that he would give me a man on a consistent basis that I could pour my life into and share Jesus with. The other one is he'd give me discernment to figure out where a guy was in a short amount of time and take him where he needed to be, which was Jesus. And that's what we've been doing for the last 43 years at Rio Grande. <laughs> There's about 10 directions I want to go with this conversation. <laughs> uh, I, but if I forget, help me loop back to this idea of, of planting yourself in one place for four yeah. plus decades, because I think that's very unusual um, in our, our day and age. And, and doing that for the purpose of, of serving Jesus and making disciples in that place. So I want to come back to that. But before we move away from your past and your history, where did you grow up? What, what part of the country was your childhood in? I lived a part of the time in Albuquerque, New Mexico, because my parents would travel back and forth to Ohio because of parents, their parents getting elderly. Mm-hmm. But predominantly, I grew up in Franklin, Ohio, which is south of Dayton, Ohio. Okay. It's a small community. Okay. Yeah. I I wonder, I mean, I grew up in, well, we kind of moved around when my dad was active duty, but most of my childhood was spent in Kentucky after he got out of the service. I remember powdered milk, my friend. So, um, Oh, you do. (laughs) Yeah. I would not wish that they probably don't even, well, they probably do make it, but uh, you you definitely don't see it these days uh, nearly as often as, as I remember it growing up. Um, Well, a few things stood out to me in your story. One was this idea of needing to help people not only recognize who Jesus is, but Mm -hmm. respond. And so you had those two, you had those two instances where people came up to you and they, they shared the story, they shared the message, they shared those verses. Mm -hmm. Um, But they didn't help you take that next step of that, that Cecil did eventually Mm -hmm do you want to do something about it? And I think that's so, that's so interesting because I think that's always been the case. So when, when Peter in Acts two is sharing at Pentecost for the very first time, he shares the message. And and at the end of it, in verse 36, he says, everyone needs to know that God has made this Jesus who you crucified, Mm -hmm. both Lord and Messiah. So you need to know that. Um, but knowing wasn't enough. And I think there's an instinct that we have as people, we know that it's not enough to recognize that God has made Jesus Lord in Christ. We need to respond to it. So that's what the crowd says to Peter, brothers, what should we do? And then Peter knows what, what to say next, you know, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So I think it's, um, it's interesting that, that the Lord was in, in my listening to your story, the, the Lord was clearly drawing you over a period of time. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's pretty fascinating. The other thing that stood out to me is this idea of, um, of, a, of a movie, a Billy Graham movie, and I think that was fairly common in the 70s. In fact, my, my own dad came to faith in a theater um, watching a movie. It may have been the same movie, Dave, to be honest, because I know at the mm-hmm. end, uh, Billy Graham had some sort of uh, little message and uh, that's yeah. how my dad came to faith. So 
that was a really cool little uh, connection point there for yeah. me. <laughs> that is yeah. pretty cool. I like it. Yeah. So the idea of, of, of people helping you respond to Jesus and, and it taking time that it wasn't mm -hmm. just a, a, a one time you heard yeah. the message and, and you were ready to respond. Um, the other thing that might stand out to some of our listeners is, is how involved people were. So it wasn't yeah. just that, that you figured this out on your own, but yeah. God was bringing a number of people into your life. So what, one question I wanted to ask you is what have you learned about disciple making, you know, following Jesus and helping others follow him uh, over the past, you know, four decades of, of really giving your life to that? What are some of those lessons that just jumped to your mind right away? I'm sure you've got a, a ton of them, but... <laughs> Let, let me read one of you, uh, one of these. It's one of my favorite things on this whole subject, actually. And it's where uh, Jesus in uh, John 13, he says, what I do to you, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. In my Bible, in the Gospels, I code my Bible. I have a lot of codes. One of them is a T and a T takes time. So everywhere Jesus says something, anything similar to that, I put a TT in the margin because I think what he's trying to teach us, it takes time. They weren't going to get it then. They were going to get it, but it takes time. And so when I think we disciple with men and women, women, couples of couples, we have to be able to take time and we need to give them time to let them meditate through this, think through this. And let the Spirit of God work in their heart and mind, because he does the heavy lifting. There's a phrase I use in the ministry here uh, with guys who probably may be sick of it. But I believe that God does the heavy lifting. When I look at a man and I'm talking with him and he can uh, nod his head, he can shake, he can smile, he can say, hallelujah, praise Jesus, whatever. I, I don't know if what I just said really got into his head or his heart. Mm -hmm. But there's four that do. I know God the Father does. God the Son, God the Spirit, and Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God, discerns the thoughts and sense of the heart. So I'm convinced that God does a heavy lifting. So for me, discipleship is not that difficult because the burden's not on me. See, God didn't make my shoulders broad enough to carry that responsibility, but his shoulders are. So God the Father, God the Son, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God can get where I can't get. So I want to be involved in a man's life. But I want to make sure he's dependent upon those four, not Dave Perry, because mm -hmm. if he's if he's dependent upon Dave Perry, he probably won't make it because this yeah. guy's just not that this guy's just not good. <laughs> not good enough. Yeah. I mean, I'm messed up like everybody else. Well, let's let's kind of shift into this this idea of of being in one place for such a long period of time. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's again. Well, let me just there's two or three things I really want to ask you and I hope hope mm -hmm. we have time. Uh, so one is what has led you to remain there? I mean, I know you, you told the story about how you arrived there as a student mm -hmm. and you looked down the hill and you saw those dorms and it was clear to you that, that God had you there for more than just your, your education. He had you there to serve him. Um, and then you just continue to do that now for, uh, for such a long period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what is it that's led you to, to that clarity of purpose? If you let me do two parts, I think I can help with that. One, I want to show you something. These are uh, letters. They're, they're gold to me. These are the letters Cecil wrote to me when I was in Germany. You wouldn't believe how what's written in these letters. Uh, 
So one of the things I wanted to read, I pulled it off to the side just so I could do this. Uh, let me turn to it. Sorry. <laughs> this is something he said to me that helped me out. He says, if you could, uh, if you would like to get some exposure to a community ministry, then more than a military ministry like Campbell, <laughs> hint, or a college ministry, Jeannie and I would like you to come and co-labor with us. But I want most of all what God wants for you and where he wants you to be. That was golden. The other part is this. I'm convinced that less than 1% of what we call the body of Christ will ever be what we call full time. So my idea is, what happens to the other 99%? I've just run into too many people over the years saying, I can't not do what they do. And I totally agree. They can't. Hmm. Not in that form, but they can do it by living this out. One of the other things I told my Bible with is um, AJW, As Jesus Went. My favorite passage is always going to be Matthew 9, because six times in there, there's a phrase similar to two phrases, as Jesus went. And that's used twice, and there's four more that are very similar. So six times, as Jesus was going, as Jesus went. What he was doing for the 12, he was living out life. For the disciples, it wasn't a classroom. Life was a classroom. So I want to help guys learn and gals and couples learn that they can do this in real time. So to do that, someone has to model this. If not, they always think only the professional can pull this off. Right. It's not just the professional. It's the person out rubbing shoulders, going to the same stores, filling up the same gas stations, everybody else that can be used by God in the lives of other people. And to me, that's paramount to help people learn that they can do this right where they are. Well, they it's hard to do if you don't see it modeled. So mm-hmm. Sandy and I model here. Our home is a wide open door. I can't tell you how many people have keys to my home. I can't tell you how many people <laughs> have lived with us for training. So we live out. So what kind of an oddity in our community going, this is not like everybody else that lives a Christian life here. So no, we want to model something different. So will everyone do what we're doing that we expose this to? No, I believe in the principle of the few. But there are some who look at it going, I want to do this, and I can do this because I've watched it model. Cecil asked me one time on a long walk. We take usually a, hopefully an annual walk, maybe two, and we take these long walks. I love them. But several years back, we were taking one of our normal walks, and he said, I have a question to ask you. Well, Andrew, you know him as well as I do. Cecil does not eat, ask vague questions. They're very detailed. Right. But that day, he asked one. He says, is this a thing with you? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Is this, <laughs> this a thing with you? See, so I don't, I don't know what you mean by it. Is this a thing, a calling? Why are you here? You could have been with the NAVs. You could have been in almost any military base. But you elected to stay in this little tiny Podunk Village, Rio Grande, this small little tiny college. Hmm. Why? Right. I said, do you really want an honest answer? He said, yes. I said, okay, then I'm going to give it to you. It's your fault. How's it my fault? He said, when, when I said, when I came to Fort Knox, let's go back in time, 47 years ago, 47 years ago, or 40 some years ago at that time, you were working at a full-time job in processing. You lived in a little subdivision, little brick house, rent style. Hmm. 
and you were part of just the community. That's what I saw, and God was giving you men and entrusting men to you. You were just someone living in the community. I never recovered from that. It got in and never got out. And I thought, someone's got to model this for people. So mm-hmm. that's where yeah. that comes from. It comes from that letter, and it comes from his modeling. What What's the date on that letter? Or it may not be dated, but this when one? would that have been written? Yeah. 1977. 1977. And I love it. That's like, that's history. Oh, I'd love to read several quotes in here <laughs> from those letters. <laughs> I hope people are picking up some of the, uh, the little pieces here. Like one, who writes handwritten letters anymore, but obviously no like, one. <laughs> folks that aren't watching won't realize that that was a whole sheaf of papers that you held up. That wasn't one piece of paper. No. Um, so the, the time and the intention to to stay connected, even though you guys were separated by the Atlantic Ocean. Um, you know, another thing, and this is this is actually you touched on why I've told you in the past that that you're one of my heroes in the faith. You know, our mission within the harvest is helping ordinary believers live and share the faith in everyday places. And that's exactly what you've set out to do in your own life. And, and that's why um you've always been very, a, a big encouragement to me. The Lord has used you to be a big encouragement mm-hmm. to me because that is what we want to see. We don't want to see just the superstars, the full timers, yeah. uh, all of the, the weight of, of this mission falling on them. You know, this is, this is a, a mission. It's, it's, it's a co-mission that Jesus has given to all of us to, mm-hmm. to come follow him and to go make disciples. <clears throat> but like you said, most of us are going to do that uh, while living lives very similar to our neighbors, you know, working right. full-time jobs, living in the, uh, the neighborhood, uh, being known in the community. Um, so yeah, that's, um, that's, that's really encouraging to me. And it's exciting to, uh, to see you at your age in life, still passionate about doing that. So let me ask you that, because I see very few people who are into their, 60s and beyond really honestly into their 40s and beyond but certainly into their their 60s and beyond who are finishing well in the faith and i don't mean that they've they've lost their faith that they no longer believe in jesus that they aren't that they aren't trying to be people of upstanding character but they they lose that that focus um on on helping others so what is it that has kept you focused and and uh, in in the saddle so to speak well we don't have enough time for that one <laughs> <laughs> i'll try to give a few um i tell people all the time if jesus christ had not made the promise he made in the great commission as important as the great commission make disciples is if he had made not made a specific promise in there i tell people all the time i'd have quit i'd have quit a long time ago See, I'm convinced when Jesus, uh, the prime directive in Mark 3, 14, he pointed 12 to be with him. It's, it's, it, I make little hamburgers all over my Bible. And this is one of them. So the top bun is uh, he appointed the 12 to be with him. In Matthew 28, 20, he gives a promise. I'll be with you always. Andrew, if he doesn't make that statement, I think I quit. I think most folks bail out in the 40s and beyond many reasons because they think they're doing this by themselves almost or the weight of it 
I tell guys all the time, God did not make our shoulders broad enough to carry that responsibility. That's why he does the heavy lifting. If they can help guys figure out God does the heavy lifting, I think you can do this to the day you die. But right in the middle, the meat of that is Acts 4.13. There's a little tiny phrase in there about Peter and John that they had recognized them as having been with Jesus. What would our communities look like if we were known, not for carrying our Bibles, not because we went to a, a Sunday service, what if we were really known in our community as having been with Jesus? Because that's what Jesus is. We are to be with him, to love him, because he loves us. He loved us first. So I think knowing that Jesus, uh, his prime directive was to draw us near to him, mm-hmm. to always be with us, and that we can pass that on to other people. The other one is, like, is my favorite verse on the sovereignty of God. It's in Isaiah 14, 27. It says, for the Lord of hosts is plan, and who can frustrate it? And as far as his outstretched hand, who can turn it back? They're rhetorical questions. Nobody. God has a plan, and God's going to fulfill it. So what you and I have to ask ourselves, do I want to join God's plan or God to come and put his rubber stamp on my plan? Hmm, Isaiah right. 14, 27 does it for me. He's got yeah. a plan. And I want to be involved with his plan. Yeah. So I wanted to do this throughout life. I think the other thing is I don't have to apologize to too many people who live this out in discipleship in my life. My favorite one is Jim Webster, and you know him well. Mm-hmm. As Jim was dying of cancer, it was an ugly way to die. And yet he chose not to take the medication, chemo, so he could be more alert to the end. What a thing to do. Mm-hmm. I visited a couple of times, and just before he passed, I called him. I said, kind of come down one more time. I really felt bad. I got there late that night. It was a Friday night. He waited up for me. He, as soon as I walked through the door, I said, hi, Dave, I got to go to bed. Man, I hated that. I, I wasted so much hours that night. Mm-hmm. I said, um, God, I see you tomorrow. I said, well, i got something to do in the morning. This is just before he dies. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going down to the restaurant. Where you used to meet me sometimes? He said, yes. Can I go? Sure. But I'm going to be there at six or five and six in the morning. I said, okay. And he's going to die weeks later. I go in there and I'm sitting down and one by one by one, eight young men in their 20s show up. Give me a second. Mm -hmm. I tap one of the guys on the end and I said, why are you here? Listen to that old man. He said this, his, his statement was gold. He says he's teaching us about Jesus and how to walk with him. And Jim Webster dies several weeks later. Hmm. I'd have to go apologize to some folks like that. Mm-hmm. I just would. Yeah. So um, I'm in it for the long haul, Andrew. I hope I do this to the day I die. I mean, I, I sometimes talk about paying it forward. And I think for, for people like you and I, we, we, we're some of the, the wealthiest people in the world, I believe, because we've had the unique experience and privilege of having um, some of these older heroes of the faith, not just from the pages of history, but in our own lives. And we've been able to watch yeah. them finish well. And so I love that, that piece of it. And I would want to encourage people who are listening. Uh, some of the people listening know, know the two of us and they know some of the other mm-hmm. folks that we've talked about, um, mm-hmm. like Jolie Holt and Jim Webster, yeah. Cecil Bean. But some people, some of the people here don't, and and some of what you're describing is probably completely foreign to them. The idea that someone would get up, an older uh, believer, an older man in the faith, would be meeting these eight 
young 20 year olds and teaching them about Jesus in a restaurant of all places yeah. on a, on a weekday morning at, uh, before the sun comes up. Um, but those are experiences yeah. that we've had. And therefore it's a reference point of, of what it could look like for us to finish well. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you've got that history, but then like, you've got that obligation to pay it forward to, to, to live that life yourself. Um, and a, a lot of people don't know um, that we share this connection uh, with Cecil Bean. So Cecil, his name has come up quite a few times in your story. Uh, and this is, this episode is about your story. So, uh, but I've also shared, uh, you know, Cecil and I, um, you know, Cecil's the, the, the man who discipled me. So we kind of share the same spiritual father in the faith. Yeah. Uh, although we were separated by about 20 years. And so, (laughs) but that's, that's exciting to me. And of course, Cecil is still following Jesus. He'll be coming out in a few weeks. You just saw him recently. Um, He's going to be coming out here to, to visit and spend about a week with us. And so um, I I want that for other people. I want people listening to, to have that experience of, of being discipled. And so if, if you're younger and you haven't experienced that, uh, I would begin praying earnestly that the Lord would, would guide you to someone who could be like a Cecil figure was for, for Dave and I, and those yeah. people are out there. I, Dave, that's part of my story is I prayed mm-hmm. for probably close to a year, maybe over a year that, that the Lord would send someone who could help me follow Jesus because I had come to faith and I wanted to, to follow through on that. It was a very sincere uh, moment in my life when I began to follow Jesus, but I did not know how to follow him. And so one of my early prayers for a year was that the Lord would bring someone into my life who could help me. And, and I do think that Cecil was a huge answer to that prayer. So if you're listening and you don't have that kind of experience and you long for that, then I would encourage you to be, to be praying that God would bring someone into your life who could be that figure. Yeah, you yeah. Because it comes at a cost, Andrew. Most folks don't realize that. Mm-hmm. But I, I said that one time. I, I said that on purpose because Jim Webster corrected me one time because I made that statement. And he looked right at me and he said, you know, to some extent, I agree. But in comparison to the cost of Christ, what is the cost? Right. And I went, okay, he's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> it does come at a cost. But part of what uh, part of how I think about that is, you know, life, life is something that you have to spend you can't hang on to life. So every person in the world, whether they're a person of faith, whether they profess faith, but don't really sacrifice um, in in, in trying to live it out, or whether they're all in and they're they're totally living this life of faith and following Jesus, every person in the world is spending their life. And so then it's just a question of, is it worth, is it worth the cost? So there's going to be a cost in life. It's just, what are you getting out of uh, the life that you're spending and you have to spend it. The hourglass is, uh, is running. There's no way to stop it. Yes. So yeah. I, but it depends a, where the focus is, Andrew. When, yeah. when I look, when I look at uh, when God showed up on the scene in Matthew three seventeen, says, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. That's an interesting statement. When you think that Jesus mm-hmm. hadn't done anything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but it, it wasn't what he did It's who he was. Yes. God was pleased with his son. That's why in, you know, Matthew 17, 5, in the Mount of Transfiguration, there's three words in there that stand out more than any three words in that whole little section. <laughs> Can God I guess comes that on the are? scene. What's that? Can I guess what they are? What are they? All right. Well, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I have in it's my okay. head what I think that they are. Okay. 
He says, listen to him. Yes. So what he's saying, <laughs> listen to Jesus. Well, right. in Matthew uh, eleven twenty nine, Jesus says three words, kind of like the dad. He says, learn from me, learn from Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I'm convinced if I can help guys listen to Jesus, learn from Jesus what he said and did, then they can really truly do Matthew 4, 19. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it's only two words versus three. So a little easier to remember. <laughs> so the key is Jesus. The focal point always has to be Jesus. See, yeah. if we miss Jesus with guys and gals and couples, we miss. Because mm-hmm. now we put it on form. We put it on methods. We put it on a ministry, just yeah. like our ministry. I don't I don't want people to say, well, didn't you know, search ministry teaching me this? Search ministry. No. What did Jesus teach you? Mm-hmm. Not the search ministry. What did Jesus teach you? Yeah. See, God, the focus has to be Christ. And if, we, if our focus is not on Jesus, we're doing people a disservice. Dave, you've been working with primarily with college students. I know that you continue mm-hmm. to stay connected with the people that, that you and Sandy mm-hmm. have discipled over the years. And so, of course, everyone gets older. I, I know that you're, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're discipling all age groups, but you've yeah. had a, a particular focus on the campus there at mm-hmm. Rio Grande over four decades. Um, and we'll kind of wrap up with this question. Ha- how have you seen um, youth changing in terms of from your experiences personally and, and your early years there on the campus and some of the challenges that you see with uh, folks who are coming, coming to the campus these days? Probably won't like my answer. Most folks probably wouldn't. I, I think one of these are, uh, we're hurting this as well as I like technology. Mm-hmm. Our kids are not learning how to talk with one another. Mm-hmm. It's face to face. Yeah. I asked someone one time just recently, I said, uh, can you call someone for me? They went immediately do this. Call the person. <laughs> We're not doing that. And then there seems to be a lack of respect for a generation uh, that's above them. And I think that's going to it's it's going to almost be our own demise uh, because they need those who have the experience bef- above them. That's why Joshua needed uh, Moses. That's why Elisha needed Elijah. That's why young men needed Jesus, even though he's only 30s. They still needed someone who's older. So it is changing, but we should never give up hope because, again, God does a heavy lifting. It's not dependent upon us. Mm-hmm. Our job is to be a laborer in the harvest. You and I are to get our hands dirty and let God do what he does best, and that's reach people. Because he's been doing this a whole lot longer than you and I have. He's got a lot more experience in it. And he does a better job at it. So yeah. I'm just thankful to be a part of it. And I want to trust him to do the heavy lifting. Yeah. And like you said, Isaiah 14, 27, he's got this plan and no one's going to be able to turn it back, including, you know, how society is, is changing. Yeah. So, but Dave, thanks so much for coming on. I want to do it again. I've been wanting to have you on the show for a couple of years now. Um, so I'm glad that we were able to do this. Uh, I definitely want to do it again sometime in the near future, but I appreciate you, brother. You won't. Andrew, can I do one last challenge, though? Yes. It's on prayer. It says, it's in 1 Samuel 12, 23. It says, far be it for me that I should sin against my God for failing to pray for you. Mm-hmm. You and I should wear our knees out on behalf of other people. Samuel got that one right. He considered mm-hmm. it sin against God for failing to pray for people. That's exactly what Jesus did in John 17. 
as he prayed for his men. Amen. All right. Thanks, Andrew. All right, brother. Thank you.